Would you stand up with me, 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. So we're going to read today, and I've only got three verses of Scripture, two here in 2 Corinthians and one in 1 Peter. But if I can, as just a prelude, just very quickly, when we went into the, the first Sunday of the, month, of, the, of the new year that I was anticipating preaching uh, for us and, and bringing that first word, I, that's a really good word, but it wasn't the right word for today. Perhaps for whatever reason, I missed that moment, whatever, there's a part of it that can still be that connected, but in my spirit, and you know, as I, um, you know, grow in my faith and grow in my, my relation to God, especially as it relates to preaching, I only want what's in my spirit because I believe if He placed it there, if He placed it, then that's the word for our fellowship. And I've had this particular verse on my mind this week, it's just kind of bubbled up, and I'll explain a little bit more about that later tonight, perhaps, but. It's this word right here. It's a phrase. Now, I'm reading it from the, the New King James, but the King James is fine. Matter of fact, I'll quote it primarily from the King James. I'm reading from the New King James because of size 17 font on this Bible. Now, he, come on, somebody, amen. It says here, now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us as God. Now, the King James would say, God hath anointed us, or hath anointed us, hath anointed us is God. So Paul is saying, God has established us with you, the church, and God has anointed us, and he sealed us and given us, 22nd verse, the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So just kind of just tuck that away just real quickly, and let's put in a... a an attachment to it, if we can. I know when you send an email, we're going. You know, you put an attachment to it. This is a very familiar verse of scripture to many of you, but really there is a correlation to it if we understand it. Even though it's two authors, two separate authors, it's First Peter chapter two, verse number nine. Here it says, "You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood." Look at this. Now you are a chosen. Now Peter's writing to the church of his day. And of his uh, particular generation, but he's also speaking perpetually of the people that are of God. You are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And isn't that powerful? I'm telling you, God has anointed us. I just want you to say that with me. God hath anointed us. That's one thing for you to step back in the pew and say uh, this real quickly. Man, the man of God is anointed, or God's anointed our preacher, or God's anointed our pastors. But I'm telling you what, your life will begin to change when you begin to see that God's anointed you. Your life, you'll live life differently. Come on, you'll have a different vision about what God expects for your life when you know that you have the precious anointing oil on your head as well. So, Father, we love you and we thank you for the reading of the word of God. Joe's prayed a powerful prayer. I add my agreement to it today. Father, let preaching be easy in this house today and show us things that perhaps we haven't contemplated previously. It's in Jesus' name and all God's children said, amen. And you can be seated. You know, as you grow in your faith, one of the things that you, you know, you want to grow is you want to grow in your understanding of the scriptures, amen, right? And because so much of your 
relationship with God, terms that are used to describe our communion with God through Christ. Often we speak of our relationship with God. You know, so much of it hinges upon your understanding of Scripture. Right? It really does because this is the revelation of who God is. This is the revelation of the means that we can commune with Him. And, you know, uh, Peter said to add to our faith virtue and to add to virtue knowledge. And as you seek to grow in knowledge of the Scriptures, you know, really everything begins to unlock for you. And one of the things that I have grown in some is that as I read the Scriptures, that now you have to be careful in doing this because you don't want to be presumptuous. But I want to know what's in the heart and the mind of the apostle that is writing the epistle, at least at what measure I can. I don't want just the surface level. The surface level oftentimes is to our interpretation of it, to our particular either uh, generation or our culture. But there had to be something in the mind of the apostle when he used this term, anointed. Perhaps the apostle Paul had a picture image in his mind when he said God has established us together. He's connected us as a body of Christ. He's established us in Christ. And God has anointed us. And with the plurality of that, I don't believe he's writing it just for those that are traveling with him like his apostolic missionary team. I believe that he's making that application upon the body of Christ as a whole because he connects it to the guarantee of eternal life, which is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. We have received the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit within us. If you have not the Spirit of Christ dwelling in you, Paul would say in Romans chapter 8, then you are none of his. But the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Paul said his spirit joins with our spirit and declares us to be children of God, right? And so through that indwelling spirit and through that empowering of the Holy Spirit comes an enlightenment, comes a revelation of different things of God's expectation. So it's my belief that as Paul is writing this about God anointing us, that there is a particular group of people that he has a picture image in his mind. So let's think about anointing for just a moment. If you study the word anointing in the Hebrew, especially this would have been in Greek, but in the Hebrew, it simply means to rub or to smear with oil. Now, oftentimes we'll say, man, that preacher is anointed, but the context is to rub or to, to smear or even to paint with oil. Now, oil typically was olive oil. Olive oil had many uses in that very arid Middle Eastern environment. It still does. They used it for common purposes. It was used to cook food. It was used as food. Actually, it's still healthy to take a spoon of olive oil every day. Hello? And so beyond this, though, it was used for burning lamps. There were medicinal purposes. You rubbed leather. There's a powerful thing we'll probably touch on next week just a little bit. They rubbed leather instruments or even shields. Many times in battle were, were made of leather, and they would rub them with oil to help glance off the, the swords that would be hitting the, the shield. There's a powerful word right there. They took newborn babes 
And immediately, you know, wrapped in swaddling clothes, we have that image. Before they got wrapped in swaddling clothes, they usually got rubbed down with olive oil. Facial protection to keep that arid wind off of the face and lips from chapping and breaking and cracking were placed upon the lips as well. So there are practical uses of of the uh, olive oil that we would say anoint. But there was a very particular purpose behind the anointing oil that I believe that's what was in the Apostle Paul's mind. I believe with his training in the Hebrew culture and in the Hebrew uh, Judaism and his knowledge of the Old Testament and of the temple, that in his mind there is a reference to the anointing of the priest of old in days gone by. Days gone by for us, but certainly not for the apostle. There was an anointing oil that was made by the children of Israel following their exodus from Egypt. Many of you are familiar with it. It was literally called the holy anointing oil. It was made of liquid myrrh. It was made of cinnamon, calamus, or cane, cassia, if that's the way you pronounce it, or, and olive oil. And it was a compound. It was a very special compound. Actually, it was called the holy anointing oil because they were never to make any other oil like it. They were to preserve it in first the tabernacle and then the temple. It had very specific purposes. It could be used to consecrate the tabernacle and all the furniture and all the utensils. And it could not be. They were restricted from pouring it upon common flesh. So the same person that was a common Israelite that could take olive oil and smear it on his own head, anoint his head, anoint his face to keep the wind and the chaffing, you know, off of his body, could not have the holy anointing oil poured upon him. That holy anointing oil belonged to a very select group of people. If you study the scriptures, you'll find that select group of people that ever had the holy compound anointing oil on them were the priest, the prophets, and the kings. That's the only biblical record of any group of individuals that ever had the flow. Remember, so what are you talking about? You know, the psalm said in Psalm 133, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. He said, it's like the precious ointment, the oil that flowed on the head of Aaron. And he's referring back to the initial consecration of Aaron following the the Egyptian exodus. And I've just got that in my spirit. And I want to talk to you about that for just a moment because the unique thing about the anointing oil what made the anointing oil unique is that once it was applied to a common instrument that instrument was no longer common that instrument might have been beaten out of the same metal as all the other instruments that could have been in the uh, in the blacksmith's shop but when that same instrument was handed over to the leadership who took that anointing oil and put it on that instrument. That instrument was now set apart for divine purposes. It might look like on the outside the other tongs or the other basins or the other shovels or snuffers that we read about as the instruments that were used in the worship of God. But because it had been consecrated and set apart by that anointing oil, it was declared hallowed, it was declared holy by God. And so there's just something tied to that, church family, something that if we will look at just a little bit differently, and that is because I believe in Paul's mind 
mind, Paul is contemplating that setting apart of both the priest and also the instruments in the tabernacle when he wrote to the church at Corinth. And he said, you know, God has established us. And not only has he established us, he has anointed us. He set us apart for his glory, for his purposes. And I'm telling you, when you get that revelation down in your spirit, then you'll get up in the morning with just a little greater heightened sense of divine purpose in your life. You'll know that you didn't call out to God. You didn't call God. God called you. You didn't find God. God found you. God formed you. God shaped you. And God determined to use you for his glory. (laughs) Hallelujah. And it will lift your spirits. I'm telling you, it will cause heavy hands that are hung down to be lifted up to God. It'll cause that old saddened, disheartened countenance where depression is being reflected by the weightiness of what's gone on in the world. But when you got the anointing of God upon you, you'll shake yourself like Samson and you'll say, my God, with God, all things are possible. Glory to God. Peter said, you're a chosen generation. I grieve when I hear so many people that struggle with any type of, uh, what is it called, an inferiority complex. They, they struggle just a little bit. They don't feel educated enough. They don't feel like they got the right talent. They were raised on the wrong side of the tracks. All that may be true. But when that anointing fell on you, uh, then you became a totally different person. Uh, you became altogether different, set apart, chosen by God. He chose you for his glory and that ought to lift your spirit every day of your life my goodness I feel Jesus in here today and I think about the sons of Aaron for just a moment think about the sons of Aaron because when we read this now we kind of overlook this principle very quickly when we think of the sons of Aaron we certainly think of the Aaronic priesthood and we think about them fulfilling their function and their duty in the tabernacle and later in the temple But what we may forget is that in a few short weeks previous to the record in the book of Exodus and then in the book of Leviticus, these brothers were slaves. They had the chains of Egyptian slavery on them. They were living in a community where there was a pantheon and a multitude of idols and gods all around them. And they had been plagued by the the issues of living there in Egypt. But because of the power of the blood of a Passover lamb, that when the wrath of God fell on the Egyptians, because they had marked their own houses on their own doorpost with the blood of the Passover lamb, then the wrath of God... God passed over them. And when the waters of the Red Sea closed up behind them, then they were delivered from Egypt. And just a few short weeks, they're going to be serving God in the wilderness, dedicated to God, consecrated to God, called out of darkness, and brought forth into His marvelous light. I'm telling you, when God gets ready to do a work in you, He don't have to ask anybody whether He wants to work in you to His glory or not. He don't have to call Springfield, Missouri, or Cleveland, Tennessee. He don't have to call any of our denominational headquarters. He don't have to run up past Trump or Putin or anybody else. When God gets ready to call you out of darkness and put his anointing on your life, you'll look up and your life will be changed for his glory. The tabernacle and by virtue of the holy anointing oil was now consecrated and dedicated to God. 
Moses said, hey, the first thing you do with the anointing oil, he said, anoint the tabernacle. And he said, anoint all the instruments. And within the tabernacle, you're familiar with this, there was a veil that separated the holy place and the most holy place. And only those that were called and consecrated could enter in to serve the Lord. Now, Leviticus chapter 8 tells us of the consecration of, now I know you said, my God, I didn't know people even preached from Leviticus. I'm telling you, Leviticus, when you understand the shadow of it and its application to the church today, it will cause you to run around your house. It will. I'm telling you, it will do more than put you to sleep when you're trying to read through the Bible in one year. It will cause the life of God to flow into you. And Leviticus chapter number 8, let's just glean real quickly because this tells of the consecration and the dedication of Aaron, the brother of Moses, and his sons, Aaron's son, we call it the Aaronic priesthood, that would actually be serving in the capacity of a priest in the tabernacle during the days of the Exodus journey. Now, remember this. Let me say this. They have already been delivered from Egypt by the blood, but they're now being consecrated to God. There's something about that. It's one thing to be saved. It's another thing to be set apart. Now, I know that in one sense, it all happens simultaneously. But a lot of people have an awareness of their salvation, but they don't have any awareness that they're set apart for God's glory. And so their whole Christian experience is bound to the simple fact that they now have a reservation in heaven. That's a great thing. That's the greatest thing. But at the same time, God left you here on the earth. This is your tabernacle. You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. God's anointed you with specific, for specific purposes. And we're going to look at this for just a moment today, for just a moment. Because I believe that if we set our hearts to consecration, if we set our hearts to being hallowed before God, we'll begin to see God work in us in ways that we've never seen Him before. Let me tell you, you've got to set your heart to seek after God. You've got to determine in your heart and say, God, I want to go from where I am to where you are. I, we were praying and singing that worship song a moment ago, Lord, your presence. When I hear that song, I'm always reminded of what Moses said in the wilderness. He said, Lord, your presence has to go with us. If your presence don't go with us, we're not going to move. Come on, we're not going anywhere without the presence of God. And when you realize you're consecrated to God, I'm telling you, all you want to do is be, uh, you want to be obedient to His will, conformable to His will. You want to live your life not for your purposes, but for His purposes. You want to serve God. Leviticus 8, verse 6, this started the process this is what's odd. We think about the anointing of the priest as just pouring oil on their heads and that consecrated them. But there was much more to this. And so I want you to look at it. It started, look at this, the sixth verse said, Moses brought Aaron and his sons and he washed them with water. Now what that meant was he would have brought them into 
the outer court of the now established and erected tabernacle. And the very first instrument that was there waiting on the priest to wash was called the brazen laver. And if you've ever studied the history of the building of the instruments of the tabernacle, you'll find that the brazen laver gained its metal, its metal uh, from the, the what the Bible in the King James English says, the looking glasses of the women that would be outside the tabernacle. So Moses took the, the, the looking glasses, which it would have been shiny, polished metal, and they put it all together and to make this brazen laver and fill it with water so that when they would bring the priest in and wash him before he would put on his garments that he would go and serve God in the tabernacle, not only as he was washing would he get the cleansing element of the water, but he would get the reflective he would get the reflective element of the water over the brazen uh, the laver as well. And I'm telling you, that's a type that was its fulfillment. The anti-type is the Word of God. Remember what Paul said? He said, you're washed by the washing of water by the Word of God. And I'm telling you, when you really begin to see God move in your life and you really set your heart to seek after God, it starts with looking in the Word and saying, God, I want to be clean. I'm not just talking about in my spirit. I'm talking about in every area of my life. I'm talking about in my attitude and my actions and in my thoughts and the things that I read. God, I need the power of your word. And so I want to encourage you today. Dedication to God will bring with it being washed by the water of God. This is what we call sanctification. Y'all know some of you are having to pull out your iPhone right now and type that in. Sanctification. What that means is you're being set apart for God's purposes. But you can't be set apart for God's purposes and live, come on, like the old you. The old man's got to die. Come on, you got to be cleansed of some things in your life. And only the washing of the Word of God will cleanse you. Right? I'm telling you, you can read anybody's book that's on the uh, Christian book. I'm for all that. But I'm telling you, nothing will cleanse you more in your mind and your thoughts than just getting alone with God. Spending time looking into the brazen laver. Come on, saying, God, I want you to cleanse me. Let me see the image of Jesus. Let me see the image. Let me see his image when I look in there. Because if I look into the perfect law of liberty long enough, I'll be changed into the image that I see by the glory of God. I'll see his image flowing forth out of the word of God. And it will produce such a change in my life. And then we see, let's go on down the verses 7 through 9, that there was actually an attire that the priests were expected to wear as they preached. And he put on the tunic on him. He girded him with a sash. He clothed him with the robe. He put the ephod on him. And he girded him with the intricately woven band of the ephod. And with it he tied the ephod on him. And he put the breastplate on him and the urim and the thumb him in the breastplate and he put the turban on his head now uh, just to be honest that's why I had to get dressed up just a little bit to preach today I couldn't show up here in a t-shirt that said first assembly of God and preach to you and these priests here are putting all, all this I had to at least have a tie on today because these priests wore something that distinguished them from the common man God said I want my people that are serving me in my house to be distinguished in their lives and I know there's a lot of 
analogies as it relates to our attire, to our clothing for just a moment. We even think about this in various ways and means naturally. But we think about this as a uniform. Think about this with the carnal mind for a moment or a natural mind. We put a uniform on a police officer to to reflect the authority of the state, correct? Correct. Come on, we put a uniform on our firemen so we'll know who's, when somebody's going up the building as you're going down the building, you'll be able to, as the building's going up in flames, you'll be able to get out of the way because they're men on a mission. We put a, a uniform on our sports teams and we put a uniform on our military and we put a, a, a uniform on our hospital personnel. Uh, by their uniform, we know that they're separated for service. And we separated for service. Uh, that they're prepared to live or to serve differently. And so I know today, I'm not preaching, that's a natural example, but I'm not talking about your physical clothing today. I'm talking about being clothed with his righteousness today. The greatest analogy in Scripture related to attire is a robe of righteousness. And righteousness is a recognition that you are made righteous by God. See, a lot of people struggle in their stance or in, in their ministry because they don't understand that they're not declared righteous by their own human effort. But righteousness is a clothing that comes upon us by our faith in Christ. If I stood up here today trying to preach to you in my righteousness, the church family, the Bible says my righteousness is filthy rags. But if I'm clothed in his righteousness today, that I can preach from the stability that that gives me knowing that I'm clothed and accepted in his presence because of his righteousness. Let's move further. The 12th verse says that he then poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and he anointed him and he consecrated him. The anointing oil had a sweet fragrance and it was poured upon the priest. And so you and I, we must have Christ's fragrance on our life. Didn't the Apostle Paul say we are the fragrance of Christ? We are the fragrance of life and we're the fragrance of death. And I want to encourage you today. I want you to know the anointing is tangible. When God's working in your life, the power of his presence will be known by those that are around you. And I believe that something can can emit from your life more than just a poor attitude more than just frustrations and aggravations and and personality issues that you've wrestled with, but when that anointing is flowing in your life, I'm telling you, it will cause the very presence of Christ to be experienced by those that are around you. And if our world needs anything, it needs the presence of a living Christ that flows from the lives of the church of the living God. Let's go a little bit farther. I could go right there longer, but I'm not because it's not just one element that I wanted you to see. It wasn't just one moment where oil was poured on the head of the priest, but it was, uh, it was a process. Now, notice this in the 23rd verse. Here's something. It says that Moses killed the sacrifice, and he took some of its blood, and he put on the tip of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Did you ever see that before? Some of you, yes, I know. Others, maybe for the very first time. And so then he did in the 24th verse, he brought Aaron's son, who would be the priest. And he put some of the blood on the tips of the right ears, on the thumbs of the right hands, and on the big toes of the right feet. And he sprinkled the blood all around the altar. Blood applied to the right ear. Blood applied to the right thumb. Blood applied to the big toe of the right foot. 
Now, church family, today, for just a moment, that's a, probably a more difficult to, uh, a type to study out, and I would probably lack the full uh, understanding as it relates. So I'll make a simple uh, application of this, pack, of this passage of Scripture. Here's what I believe there is a pa- uh, an association with. Did you know God can cleanse where you've been? God can cleanse what you've done. And God can cleanse what you've seen and heard. So then let's make another analogy with that. God has set you apart to hear his word. God set you apart to serve him. And God has set you apart to go where he tells you to go. Before I preach almost every Sunday, I don't know if any of you ever see me do this. I did it again this morning. I take the anointing oil and I anoint my right ear. I anoint my thumb and I anoint my big toe. Because I say, God, I just want to be consecrated before God so that when I stand up here and preach the word of God, there'll be a sweet fragrance of Christ flowing out of my life. And then in the 30th verse, let's see this real quickly. Let's try to tie this all together. And so Moses then took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood that was on the altar. And he sprinkled it on Aaron and on his garments, on his sons, on the garments of his sons with him. And he consecrated. Notice that word consecrated. Aaron, his garments, his sons, and the garments of his sons with him. And I have to say this again today. I don't know the exact application to this because there was already blood applied. There was already anointing oil. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take it on a surface level and say I just need a fresh I just need a fresh application, a fresh anointing, a reminder of the blood, a consecration, a sanctification, a hallowing, and an anointing that is now complete. And church family, this is a small process, but God took the sons of Aaron and he washed them in water. He clothed them in his own and his robes that he expected them to wear. And then he poured anointing oil and the sweet fragrance upon them. And then they were anointed on their ear, their thumb, and their big toe. And then before they could start the service Moses the man of God took the oil and he took the blood and he mixed it together and then he sprinkled it on top of them so that when they were in the service of the tabernacle they were there for the glory of God they were there to be used as an instrument if the altar was an instrument if the brazen labor was an instrument then the priest that was a that was serving was an instrument to be able to be used by God for his glory you say, Pastor, what's that mean to me? I'm telling you, God's called you. God has called you, and he sets you apart for his glory. How many know that today you're covered by the blood? How many know today God can anoint you to go and do things that you could not do in of yourself? That because of the sanctifying, hallowing work of Christ on the cross, you can go boldly into the throne room of grace. In the Israelite community, there were gatekeepers. There were those that watched the entry to the most holy place and the holy place so that somebody, common flesh, didn't just stumble up in there. But you and I can go boldly into the presence of Almighty God today, having our conscience purged from dead works. Our bodies are washed by pure water. We're clothed with His righteousness. We're covered by His anointing. And we can come boldly into the presence of a living God and we obtain help to find help in time of need and we are able to serve God with a clear conscience hallelujah man my God that's good today God sets you apart 
I'm, the reason why I'm a little bit frustrated while I'm preaching, the reason I'm frustrated is because we've thought the anointing is just for preachers. Paul said God has anointed. It's two letters. Us. You've got the anointing, church family. Now with that, let me tell you real quickly before I close. This is the good part. <laughs> this is where I may need Sister Sherry to go start the vehicle. Keep that side door open right over there just a little bit. Don't let that lock bar be locked this time. I don't want to get over there and it shut me down if I have to move and leave quickly. But let's read Leviticus 10, verses 9, 10, 11, three verses. Because when that anointing comes upon you through your dedication to God, God puts an expectation. I don't mind saying that to you today. We live in this generation of, if I can say it respectfully, cheap grace where we think grace doesn't bring us into an expectation with God. God puts an expectation on those that he's poured that holy anointing oil on. And let's see if we can make a, 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 a correlation between the priest of old and his expectation upon us. In Leviticus 10, verse 9, are y'all with me here today? This is the end, but I'll tell you, this is good. Listen, I watch Christian television. I see TBN. You can't, it ain't going to get any better when you, if you get out of here in time and go turn on Jensen Franklin. Even T.D. Jakes. I can preach, get ready, get ready, get ready if I need to. Right? It's, I'm telling you, this is, what, this is the word of God for our church family. What would happen if 200 men and women got up tomorrow and understood that they were anointed by God? that they were consecrated for God's purposes and that wherever they served, whether it be at the job where they work or their family or their home or wherever it is, but they're serving God. That's their tabernacle, right? And they're not gonna go about it nonchalantly. They're not gonna come in with, to their jobs with those sour attitude, trying to invite people out to Hebrew First Assembly while your old life is all twisted. Listen, that's, no, and I'm gonna just borrow the slang. Ain't nobody got time for that. God's calling people out. God wants you to be holy, consecrated, and dedicated for his purposes. He wants a fresh anointing on your life. He wants your ear to turn to his. He wants the, free, the sweet fragrance of Christ to emit and flow from you so that you can be a living epistle written and read amongst men. Man, that's good right there. Now you say, well, were there some restrictions for those that were serving in the tabernacle? Yes, there were some restrictions. So let's talk about that for just a moment. Verse 9 said, don't drink wine or intoxicating drink. You nor your sons with you when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. If you come stumbling up in there, God got a breathalyzer. <laughs> That's funny right there. God said, I don't want that. God doesn't want you altered. Let me just put that in just, in just layman's terms just for a moment of time. I'm telling you, it's time to lay aside the addictions. Hebrews said, lay aside the sin and the weight, come on, that has easily beset us. Let God call you out. Listen, I don't ever want to be condescending. I don't want to be preaching down to anybody. I'm so grateful we got a group of men, women that have come out of bondage, come out of addictions, and I want to be a church family that embraces that moment. But I want you to know today, don't just come part of the way out, come all the way out. Don't just lay down marijuana and pick up your cigarettes. Don't just lay down uh, crystal meth and, and then fall prey to alcoholism. It's the will of God for you to be called out, not be in bondage to any addiction. Come on, somebody. I say that not to condemn you. I say that to empower you. That's the revelation from God today in your life. God wants you whole. 
Right? God's calling you all the way out for his service. And God said if to the priests of old, he said, you can't be nipping and preaching at the same time. You couldn't touch the dead. There's a lot of things that people are still touching. There's a lot of dead things. The stench of death is still in the lives of a lot in the body of Christ. Man, I'll challenge people today. You need to walk through your home. I, I, I shared with a dear friend of mine just a couple of days ago. I said, you need to have an Acts 19 moment. What was that? That's when in Ephesus, the Bible says they brought all their curious arts and they burned them with fire. I'm telling you, go through your CDs. Go through your DVDs. Go through your magazines and your books. Get that junk out in the... Na- are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I say, Pastor, that's so practical. That's all that old-fashioned sanctify. Yeah, I know. That's what exactly it was. It was old-fashioned sanctification for the glory of God because a generation bygone believers recognized they were anointed by God and they didn't want to smell like the world when they were trying to reach the world. Oh, I feel Jesus right there. They couldn't marry defiled persons. So let me just take that and I'll make it to the single folks in here. You better start waiting on God. One thing I've observed in the 20 plus years I've been pastoring so much in people's lives of issues that they struggle with is relational. And you know what folks do? They go from the fine pan into the fire and they use no spiritual wisdom in their choices of who they're seeing who they're dating. They don't wait on God to awaken them like Adam and bring Eve into their life, but they go down to the electric cowboy. Hello? Or the VFW or the Legion. And they try to find their... That's not the way God works. God will bring you one right through his house. One that God wants to unite your heart together with in love. And so wait on him in the name of the Lord. They couldn't eat common food that belonged to the people. My question I pen to challenge you with today, I'll be closing in just a moment. But it's this, when are we going to live like we're anointed? As that's the practical application of it. When is the church in our generation going to start living their lives with the awareness that God hath anointed us? I'm telling you, when we do. And we come to ourselves and we wake up out of Delilah's lap. I'm telling you, then the strength of God will be waiting on us to get the anointing on our lives when we start living a life that's pleasing to him. Number two today, just real quickly. Real quickly, prevented from serving in the tabernacle. If you had a bald head, Joe, I'm sorry, bro. Shaved beard on the edges in the corners. If you cut your flesh, we could call that tattooing. Shane, you're out too, buddy. If you, it was a good run. <laughs> nobody that was blind, nobody that was lame, no one was marred with a marred face. The Bible plainly says this. As you said, if, if somebody had a limb too long, if their right hand drug down beside their feet and their left hand was up here, then no, they couldn't, they couldn't serve in the tabernacle. If you had a broken foot, a broken hand, if you were a hunchback, oh my goodness, there goes the preacher right there. A dwarf, if you, were, if you had defects in the eye, scabs on your body, or you were a eunuch, then you couldn't serve in the tabernacle. You say, Pastor, what's the principle behind all that? God wanted his priests whole. 
I'm just going to tell you that way. It's as simple as it can be. God wanted them whole. Now, let me tell you, so, Pastor, what's the mystery and the connection to that is? Well, when you study out what happened through Christ, oh, Jesus, when you study out what salvation really is, when you study out what he did for you when he died on the cross and he pillowed his head in death and gave up the ghost and commended his spirit into the Father's hands and blood dripped from seven fountains of blood on that fateful day and you understand the power of that blood, then I want you to know that'll give you joy unspeakable and full of glory. Because you may say this, and we often do, well, I was saved by the blood. And you really don't know what that means when you say, I was saved by the blood. Many times all we think of being saved from, saved from wrath through him, saved from eternal hell. When you look at, up in the original language, you'll find the word, if I pronounce it exactly right, sozo, S-O-C or Z-O, and it means, here's what it's translated in the King James Version of the Bible. It's translated saved, it's translated healed, and it's translated made whole. So you know what, today, JoJo can preach with his bald head, and Shane can preach with his tats, and I can preach with my bent over back because in Christ Jesus, I've been made whole today. And I can stand before you today because of the redemptive work of Christ on the cross and preach to you. And today, I want you to see, we say, Pastor, what's my purpose? Close with the purpose. If I get the anointing on my life, show me what my purpose is Part of my purpose as a preacher, or as not a preacher, but as a, as a priest in the kingdom of God. As we close today, look at this 10th verse. He said that you may distinguish between holy and unholy, between the unclean and the clean. Now let me say this today. Did you know God has anointed you and set you apart to be a witness in the world and to be able to distinguish between the holy and the unholy. Let me just say this. The world doesn't know. Let me give you an example of this. The world doesn't seem to know that abortion is wrong. But you know it. Well, let's go a little bit farther than that. The world doesn't seem to know that open sexuality is wrong that it produces a consequence. The world doesn't seem to know that shacking up is the wrong thing for somebody's life. But you know it. The world doesn't seem to know that homosexuality is wrong. I'm not throwing stones at homosexuals today, but the lifestyle choice, and that's what it is, it's wrong in the eyes of God. The world doesn't seem to know that. But you know it. The world doesn't seem to know that if you look down and your body anatomy is that of a male, you ought to go in the men's bathroom. But you know it. Then who's going to tell the world? Those that's got the anointing of God on their life. Those that understand the word of God and know that there is a right and there's a wrong. There's a holy, there's an unholy, there's a clean, and there's an unclean. And we've got the anointing of God upon our life. We've got to be bold enough to express the revealed will of God. We know it, and God expects us to speak it. And lastly, verse number 11 says that you may teach the children of Israel. Did you know God has anointed you to teach the word of God? God's anointed you to live to share the word of God. 
whether in evangelism or in instruction and in inspiration or comfort, whether it's a reproof, a rebuke, or a warning. God has anointed you to both live by the Word of God and then to share the Word of God. For only the revealed Word of God can produce change in the lives of men and women. The revealed Word of God. If we think the world's going to be won by bringing people to the church, for preachers like me and Joe and Shane to preach to them, I'm telling you, we've sadly mistaken. The world's going to be won when you carry an anointing on your life. When you walk and live your life with the confidence that God has called you and anointed you, and then you go out into the world with his presence upon you, that's when the church is going to be at its strongest. That's when our finest work will be done. That's when the light will be shown into the darkness, and the darkness will not overtake it, because the children of God will go forth showing forth his marvelous light, because we are anointed of God. Would y'all stand up with me today? We are the anointed of God. Who's on the platform with me today? Is there anybody that's playing with me today, Aaron? And I want to say this today. When you say these words, God, I want the anointing. Have you ever said that? Have you ever prayed that in your own private devotions? God, I want the anointing. God, I want the anointing. I wanted you to know today that when you've said that, that you must strive to understand that it means more than God empower me to preach. It means more than God give me a spiritual gift. But rather, it means God empower me to live a life dedicated to your service. Man, that's right on right there. Okay, let, me, let me say it one more time. I want you to hear that before we close and before you leave here today. When you pray and when you say those words, and I believe many of you prayed that because you've seen other people minister. You've seen them under the anointing. Pray for people. You've heard preachers like Dr. Brassfield. You've heard preachers like Pastor Andre. And you say, man, they've got the anointing on their life. God, give me the anointing. We think that the anointing is just to be empowered to serve by a ministry gift such as prophecy or teaching or preaching. But let me tell you, it's not. The anointing is to live a dedicated, consecrated, hallowed, holy, sanctified life for the glory of God. Did y'all catch that? That's what the anointing is upon you. That's where it flows out of your spirit. And so I believe when Paul said, God hath anointed us. God hath anointed us. God has called us and set us apart for his glory. And when you get a revelation of that in your life, what he's done in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit, you start laying aside those things that have hindered you and restricted you and caused you to stumble I'm telling you what that purpose will begin to be lived out every day things that you've wrestled with you know the thing that God what do I do where do I go what's my ministry I'm telling you just live for God every day be a light carry his anointing with you go to your job with a smile come on when you get frustrated don't act like the world be told altogether different I mean I'm telling you that's what the anointing does in your life it sets you apart and that way all of a sudden people can begin to see wait a minute he acted differently she acted differently they reacted differently everybody else blew up everybody else started cursing everybody else went this direction but all of a sudden you were differently you were different because what you were set apart for God's glory and you left a living legacy. You were an epistle written and read among men. Why? Because you were anointed of God. So I encourage you today. 
Would y'all do something with me today? Would you say that? Can we just come to the altar for just a flooded moment at the altar for a moment and pray a corporate prayer together? I know it's right here at the end. I don't know what time it is. I'm going to finish. and I just feel like that we should do this. I'm not going to go through and anoint every person with oil today for the sake of time. I would tie you here too long. But if I, this is the first message for me in 2018, and it's born out of my, uh, uh, my, my contemplations with God, and I just want you to be able to say that it is God that hath anointed us. You know, I can say that today. I can say that in my own personal life. I pray that in a regular basis, but I can not just pray it, I can profess it. I can say, God, you've anointed my life. The fragrance of Christ is there. I'm grateful for it. God, let me not have things in my life that mar that anointing. That mar that anointing. Recognize you're different. Did you know that? Recognize you're different. Chosen by God. Anointed by God. Pray a prayer with me today. Pray and just say, Father, Lord, let the anointing be in my life. God, let it flow on my head. Let it flow all over me, God. And be all that I can be for the glory of God. Today, Father, I recognize that you chose me. Set me apart for your glory. May I live life with that eternal purpose, with that calling in mind. God, may I live my life today with a distinction, knowing, God, that you have set me apart from the world. You have set me apart for your purposes. I pray for the fragrance of Christ in my life. Who will pray that with me today? Come on, some of you work in the, a medical field. Some of you work on the school campuses. Some of you are entrepreneurs, shop owners. Some of you are uh, medical. You work in the medical field. I'm telling you, God has, that's your tabernacle. Did y'all hear what I said? To, that's your tabernacle. Me and Joe and Shane, Dr. Brassfield, the church is our tabernacle. Your tabernacle is where God has sent you. God didn't send you to Africa. God didn't send you to Indonesia. But he sent you to your job tomorrow. He sent you to your family. And God's anointed you. He's anointed you. Go there with the glory of God upon you. Be who God's called you to be. Live your life every day with the awareness that God hath anointed us. Now, I want you to pray this, and then I want you to transition with me right here. I want you to pray this prayer real quickly and say it with me. Say, Father, Father, today, let me have the anointing of God. Let me receive it in my life. Now, today, I want to profess, God, you have anointed me. I'm anointed of God, and I'm going to live my life with the awareness that you have anointed me and I'm set apart for your glory in Jesus name Father I bless all the people I speak the life of God upon them I speak the favor of God upon them I speak the anointing of God upon them I send them forth Father God in the name of Jesus to their tabernacles of life